Good morning to you again. Yes, I like that. I think a little good morning. I think I'm good. You guys can all hear me, right? Okay. Um, <clears throat> in 2013, actually, I'm going to spin this here. I feel like now I need to get a good spread. There we go. That's better. I can see you all. Is good? There we go. Um, in 2013, the Philadelphia 76ers were in the beginning phases of rebuilding their, their team, and uh, a new slogan took hold. Uh, does anyone know what I'm talking about? You know what slogan I'm talking to Call it out if you know it. There it is. Trust the process, right? Trust the process. The, the slogan is primarily attributed to their general manager, uh, who emphasized the need for the organization as a whole to commit itself to long-term growth over and above short-term success. And of course, you know, sports critics have spent countless hours uh, weighing out the merits of that slogan applied to a professional basketball team. Uh, but I think it is sound wisdom for the Christian as they seek to grow in their faith. Uh, I would, however, slightly change the slogan to say, uh, trust the God who is behind the process. Um, I, I wonder, as, as you look out at, at your own life as a believer, uh, can you see a process being worked out? Can you see a process being worked out? Can you see a, a process unfolding in your life whereby you are growing in holiness, in the, the fruits of the Spirit, in your love for God and for one another? Are you little by little, as the Lord brings you along, making progress in your dependence on him and in your obedience to him? Uh, are you, as Peter says in his second epistle, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are, are you working out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is at work in you to will and to work? according to his good pleasure. Uh, maybe you're enjoying a season of unparalleled growth in godliness, or, or maybe you're here this morning and those questions are utterly discouraging. Maybe you feel like very little, if, if any, progress can be seen in your life. Uh, the sins that have long been areas of struggle remain a struggle. And you can't see hardly any evidences of growth in your faith. Whatever the case may be, if, if your desire this morning is to grow, to grow in your faith, uh, what you need this morning, hear me plainly and clearly, what you need this morning is not some uh, five-step plan. It's not some uh, ten-step list of things to do. What you need this morning is to see Christ. What you need this morning is to see Christ. It's, it's, it's only in seeing Jesus more clearly that we grow. Our problem, however, is that so often we are blinded. Uh, we are blinded by the darkness that's around us, but we are also blinded by the, the darkness that continues to rise up inside of us. 
And instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus, we, we look uh, at ourselves and we look to ourselves. If, as I read in our call to worship, if, if in his light we see light, in our darkness we see only darkness. And like a plant that's shoved in a closet and kept from the light that would enable it to grow, so too we cannot grow apart from the light that is found only in Christ. So as we look at our passage this morning, what I, what I want you to see is, is the beautiful and radiant light of Jesus Christ. I want you to see the beautiful and radiant light of Jesus Christ. Specifically, I want you to see Jesus, who is the only one who can give us spiritual eyes to see him more clearly so that we trust him more fully and know him more deeply. What I want you to see specifically about Jesus this morning is that he's the only one that can give us spiritual eyes to see him more clearly so that we would trust him more fully and know him more deeply. So let's turn in our passage this morning to Mark chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 8.22. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles stacked up on the back. Uh, feel free to take one uh, with you to your seat and feel free to take one home with you. So Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But what do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Let me pray for us briefly again. Lord, we know because your word tells us that what we need this morning is a sight of the Christ. We need to again see Jesus, our all-sufficient Savior, who has accomplished for us a perfect work of salvation so that we are forgiven of our sins, reconciled to you by faith alone, and are secured for all eternity. We need Christ to shine, again, the light of his glory into our hearts. So would you work this morning by your spirit? We, we are dull. We are at times blind, blurred in our seeing, we pray that you would give us a clear sight of Christ, that in seeing him, we might be transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Lord, do this for your sake. Do it that you would receive glory. Do it that your people would be nourished and fed and that they would grow up 
to maturity in Christ and more faithfully bear witness with their lives to the glory that is your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, in your light do we see light. Shed your light abroad in our hearts, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you were here last week, you'll remember that this passage comes right after Jesus strongly rebukes his disciples with a, a litany of questions meant to snap them out of their unbelief and misunderstanding. Uh, Throughout Mark's gospel, they have fumbled around with Jesus' teaching, regularly misunderstanding him, and even at points expressing outright unbelief. They they have been with Jesus for months now. Some say uh, they've been with him even longer than a year, but they still don't get it. That They have not progressed to where they should be in their understanding of Jesus. In other words, they're a lot like us. Uh, Or maybe we should say we are a lot like them. But as they arrive on the shores of Bethsaida, what they're about to witness in Jesus healing this blind man is a parable of their own blindness. It's a parable of their own blindness and the process that Jesus is steadily bringing them through in order that they might see him for who he truly is. Indeed, it is a picture of what Jesus does in our own lives, as he works in us to do the very same thing, to bring us through a process so that we might see him for who he truly is and know him and trust him. And so this morning, I want to focus on two facets of that picture, two facets of Jesus' healing. The first thing is the process of Jesus' healing, and then the second is the point of Jesus' healing. I want you to see the process of Jesus' healing, but then I want you to see the point of it. So first, the process of Jesus' healing. The the focal point of Jesus' miracles up to this point has been his authority, right? The authority that he wields over demons and sickness and even death. It's the demonstration of that authority that substantiates the truth and the power of his message. But here in this passage, the focal point of Jesus' healing is how he heals the man. The focal point is in how he does it. Look again at verse 22. We read, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. The most surprising thing about this passage is how Jesus heals the man, specifically that he heals the man in stages. In none of Jesus' other recorded miracles does the healing take effect in phases. At the command of Jesus, you know, if we, if we look back through Mark's gospel, Right? At the command of Jesus, the demons left the man with the unclean spirit. With the touch of his hand, Simon's mother-in-law was made completely well. With those beautiful, beautiful words, I am willing, be clean, Jesus healed the leper. Again, at Jesus' command, the paralytic was made to walk. The man with the, the withered hand was healed. We could, we could keep going and going. Right? The point is that in none of Jesus' other recorded miracles does the healing take effect partially at first, and then fully. So, so what do you make of that? Like, what should we make of that? 
It's the only recorded miracle in the Gospels where Jesus' healing takes place in phases, in parts. Uh, did, did Jesus mess up the first time? Was this man's blindness somehow of, uh, of some extraordinary measure that it needed like a, a, a double dose? No, I, I don't think that's the case. You know, praise God, there is no physical blindness, nor is there any spiritual blindness that is difficult for Jesus to heal. So if that's not the case, then why this two-phase healing? What is Mark trying to teach us in including this miracle? Get this, he's, he's teaching us that Jesus often brings us through a process in order to help us see him more clearly, trust him more fully, and know him more deeply. Now, Jesus often brings us through a process in order to help us see him more clearly, trust him more fully, and know him more deeply. C- consider the blind man for a moment. Consider the blind man. Again, I ask you to do this often in the Gospels because it's a narrative, and it's, it's helpful if you can try and put yourself in, <coughs> excuse me, to put yourself in the, in, in the place of these characters. Consider this blind man. The, the passage doesn't tell us how long this man has been blind. Uh, it's possible that he's been blind from birth, but it's probably more likely that he's gone blind over time due to a variety of common factors that were present in the ancient world. You know, think poor diet, subpar hygiene, There's no corrective lenses. There's no eye doctors. Whatever the case, his friends bring him to Jesus, begging that he heal the man. Uh, Perhaps his friends have seen Jesus perform one of these miracles before. Uh, Perhaps they have heard the stories of Jesus. Jesus is a household name at this point. Uh, The the stories of his healings have uh, spread around the region. Uh, The sense we get of the blind man himself is that he comes along with his friends passively, grudgingly, even skeptically. Right? His friends are confident if, that if they get him to Jesus, he will be healed. Uh, but the blind man himself seems resigned and, and hesitant. His passive coming to Jesus stands in stark contrast to uh, like blind Bartimaeus that we'll see in just a few chapters. You think If you flip in your Bible to Mark chapter 10, we're going to see another healing with another blind man. But this blind man is nothing like the one we see here. Uh, he's extremely um, insistent, right? Bartimaeus persistently follows Jesus through the streets of Jericho, uh, crying out. The, the disciples try and shoo him away, but he won't be uh, sent away. And he keeps crying, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? He's a picture of relentless faith that is unwilling to be refused an audience with Jesus. But the man here isn't even the one asking for his own healing. Right? You see, it's his friends that bring him and begin to beg Jesus. This blind man isn't coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, heal me. No, it's his friends that bring him and beg Jesus to do a miraculous work. I wonder if that's anyone here this morning. I wonder if there's in anyone, a a certain sad resignation that has settled in your soul that doubts that that God can or will help you grow in your faith. Or or maybe you're the friend. Perhaps you know someone who has heard the gospel over and over again, and yet they still don't have eyes to see. There still seems to be no receptivity to the gospel. 
They have not yet come to faith. Or, or maybe you know a brother or sister, even in this congregation, who just feels defeated and overwhelmed by a lack of spiritual growth. But look this morning at how patiently and how wisely and how powerfully Jesus brings this man through a process of learning to trust him. Look at how patiently and how powerfully and how wisely Jesus brings this man through a process of learning to trust him. Verse 23, it says, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. His friends have brought him to be healed and and are probably expecting that Jesus is is going to say a word and perform an instantaneous healing. But the first thing that Jesus does is he grabs this man by the hand and begins leading him out of the village. Imagine being the blind man at this point. Imagine being blind. You are now utterly dependent on this man that has taken you gently by the hand and is now leading you through the streets of the city. And picture Jesus. Picture Jesus very attentively and carefully leading this man through the streets, the streets, making sure to avoid obstacles, making sure to avoid that he doesn't bump into people and, and that when there's a street, he stops the man. And very carefully and attentively, he leads this man through the village streets. Have you guys ever played that team building game where like, you know, you have partners and someone gets blindfolded and then you have to walk them through a series of obstacles? You know what I'm talking about? What is the goal of those exercises? To build trust. To build trust, right? Okay, so picture Jesus gently holding this man by his hand and guiding him with his voice. Right? And as they continue to walk, there's this little spark in the man's heart. A, a little spark as he begins to realize that, that Jesus cares for him. And that the first little seeds of faith are planted. Then continuing on, we read in verse 23, And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he said to the man, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. You know, when we looked at the healing of the deaf man uh, a couple weeks ago, I briefly discussed that common first century belief that spit had healing properties when joined to certain rituals. Uh, but again, let me remind you that Jesus' power is not bound by some healing ritual, right? Rather, he uses spit to communicate with the man his intentions of restoring his sight. We're also reminded of Jesus' willingness to embrace sickness and brokenness and ultimately even our sin as he takes his hands and lays them on the man's crusted over eyes. He doesn't hesitate. He he doesn't flinch, but places his hands on the man. After laying his hands on on him, he asks, do you see anything? Uh, Again, this is a surprising and sort of puzzling feature of one of Jesus' healings. Uh, do, do you think, you know, like what's behind this question, right? It, it, do you think Jesus is asking the man like, uh, did it work? Like, did it happen? Can you, can you see now? Was, was Jesus uncertain if, if his healing actually took effect? I, I don't think that's the case. 
So, so why does he ask the man that question? Again, imagine being the blind man. Carefully and tenderly you have been led through the streets and outside the village by this man. Your friends have told you he has the power to heal your blind, blindness. Uh, you're still skeptical, but this man has taken you by the hand, attentively led you to a quiet place, and inexplicably you now feel that he genuinely cares for you. And, and then with the noise of the city behind you, 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 you feel spit being rubbed into your eye sockets by Jesus' thumbs. And, and all of a sudden, you allow yourself to hope that maybe he can heal your blindness. And then Jesus removes his thumbs from your eyes and asks you, do you see anything? And, and as you open your eyes for the first time in what seems like an eternity, light shines in. Colors burst through your cornea. Optic nerves begin to regenerate. Your pupils begin to dilate, and you see the blurred figures of men that look like trees walking. He has begun to see. His eyes have been partially healed. But the question that Jesus is asking is so much deeper than, do your eyes work now? Underneath that question is the question, do you now see who I am? Do you now see that I am the one who can meet your needs and I alone? And can you imagine the man's heart bursting with confidence and excitement and love and faith towards Jesus? Verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And now, having given the man spiritual sight, he lays his hands on his eyes one more time and restores his physical sight so that he's able to see everything clearly. It's an amazing, beautiful picture of what God does in our own hearts. It's an amazing picture of what he does in our own hearts when he opens our eyes to see the truth of who he is for the first time. And as he continues to heal our blind, blindness so that we see more of him. Brothers and sisters, consider your own conversion for a moment. When we talk about conversion, in part we're talking about God's powerful work to give us spiritual sight so that we see the truth of the gospel and receive it. Apart from God's grace at work in our hearts, we are absolutely blind to the truth. We, we read that passage in Isaiah 53. We are the people uh, in, excuse me, Isaiah 43. Right? We are the people with eyes yet who are blind, the ones who have ears yet are deaf. Because of the corrupt, sinful nature we've inherited, we are blind because of our active unwillingness to see. That is our insistence on suppressing the truth, as Paul put it in Roman, puts it in Romans 1. We are blind. We are as those who walk around covering our eyes and plugging our ears to God's voice, right? We just walk around like this. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear. I don't want to see. That is us in our sin. If you came to faith as an adult, perhaps you can remember a time in your life where you wanted nothing to do with God. Perhaps you can remember a time where you were uninterested in the gospel, bored by his word, even perhaps hostile to the name of Jesus Christ. 
but, but then God miraculously opened your eyes to the truth. You saw Jesus for the first time as beautiful, as worthy, as savior, as sufficient to rescue you from the judgment you rightly deserve. And so you ran to him in faith. I think of the words that we sang a few moments ago, right? I was blinded by my sin, had no ears to hear your voice, did not know your love within, had no taste for heaven's joy. But Then your spirit gave me life, opened up your word to me through the gospel of your son, gave me endless hope and peace. And for all that are in Christ this morning, there was a decisive point in your life where God turned the light on, so to speak. Right, where he healed your blindness, opened your eyes to the truth, revealed himself to you such that you came to him in faith and were transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You hear that language of creation, right? It is a new creation work that he does in us to change our hearts and to open our eyes to see the truth. And for all who are in Christ this morning, that new creation work has happened decisively in your hearts and lives. And yet, it has decisively happened in your lives. And yet, I imagine if we were to go around and recount how the Lord brought each one of us to faith. If we could go around and share our stories of conversion, how the Lord brought each one of us to faith, I bet a common theme would be a process that the Lord led us through. I bet we would hear of a process in each one of our lives that the Lord brought us through to a decisive point of faith in Christ. Different people conversations, different circumstances, hardships, listening to sermons, listening to things online. A process the Lord brought us through patiently, wisely, and powerfully, orchestrated by God to lead you to the point of faith in Christ, where you were, again, decisively transferred into his kingdom. Jesus patiently and wisely opening your eyes to trust him. Brothers and sisters, what I want you to see this morning is that Jesus continues to lead his people through a process. A process so that they grow in their faith. And in many ways, that process is Jesus continually, in an ongoing way, opening our eyes further to see more of who he is. To see more of who he is so that we come to trust him more fully and know him more deeply. It's in our seeing him that we are changed. You have to get that this morning. It's in our seeing him that we are changed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, it's in beholding him. It's in seeing him that we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. It's the, the process of continually seeing him. 
having him set before us, gazing into his beauty and his sufficiently his sufficiency to deliver us from all the consequences of our sin and to reconcile us to our God, that we are changed from one degree of glory to another. It's for that same reason that the author of Hebrews writes, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Right? How do we run this race that is set before us so that we continually progress in the Christian life? It is by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So be encouraged this morning that whatever is happening in your life, right now, whatever is happening in your life, the Lord has purposed it and intends it to help you see Jesus Christ more clearly to help you see all of who he is more clearly and all that he has done for you as your savior more clearly so that you might know more fully the blessing of trusting him. This is the pattern and process of growth in God's grace. It is seeing him more, knowing him more, trusting him more, loving him more, obeying him more, rejoicing in him more, and then repeat It is seeing him more, knowing him more, trusting him more, loving him more, obeying him more, rejoicing in him more, and repeat. On repeat day after day until we see him face to face and are made like him because we see him as he is. Okay, I've already started to move in the direction of my second point, but we've seen that the process of Jesus healing, the last thing I want to consider with you is the point of Jesus healing. The point of Jesus healing. What's the point of the process, if you will? Look at verse 27. We read, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages at Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. As I was uh, preparing this sermon, I realized that there is just way too much in this little section of text to cover in a week. So we're actually going to come back to this passage in particular next week to consider more fully Peter and the disciples' confession. But for our purposes this morning, I want you to put yourself in the disciples' shoes as Jesus performs this miracle. Their last conversation with Jesus was a somewhat tense one as he rebuked them for their lack of understanding and for their own spiritual blindness. And I imagine Jesus' question to the blind man, do you see anything, rung loudly in their hearts. It wasn't that long ago that they had heard Jesus ask them a very similar question. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And yet, what an encouragement. And what a comfort it must have been to these disciples as they watched Jesus faithfully and patiently bring this man along through a process in order that he might believe and have his sight restored. What an encouragement that must have been to them. 
the disciples must have thought to themselves, if there's hope for this man that Jesus won't just leave him to his own blindness, then there's hope for us that Jesus will lovingly help us understand and see too. What an encouragement it must have, must have been to them as they fumbled around with Jesus' teaching to know that Jesus was going to faithfully bring them along and help them see and understand rightly. And that's the point of Jesus' healing. That's the point of Jesus' healing. Both that the man, the blind man, would truly see Jesus for who he is, and that the disciples would see him for who he truly is. Just like the man, Jesus brings the disciples through a process. And that process is meant to reveal to them more fully who he is, so that they might know more fully the blessing of trusting him. As Jesus travels with his disciples along the road to the villages surrounding Caesarea Philippi, he asks them, who do people say that I am? You see, it's kind of like a phase one. And Jesus asking, who do people say that I am? Right? It's a way for Jesus to get at the question of his identity, first by hearing their assessment of others' opinions. Uh, explaining others' opinions on a matter is always less intimidating and less risky than sharing your own opinion, isn't it? Right? If I were to say, you know, what's your take on Donald Trump and Joe Biden? That's a little bit more vulnerable than hey, did you hear what such and such a person said about Donald Trump or about Joe Biden? Right? If I'm asking for your opinion and your judgment and your assessment, it's a little bit more vulnerable. Jesus begins by asking who others say he is, and the disciples respond, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. But Jesus, of course, isn't content to leave it there. All of those people in one way or another begin to get at Jesus' identity in a, in a fuzzy way, but not with precise clarity. And furthermore, Jesus is, is less interested in what others say about him and is more interested in what the disciples' estimation is. So he asks, but who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? That, I think, is the definition of a pregnant question. I think that's the definition of a pregnant question. Think of all the disciples have seen and experienced in their time with Jesus. Waves stilled with a word. The sick healed. Unclean spirits cast out. The, the dead raised to life. And the disciples answer. You are the Christ. Here we arrive at the, the turning point of Mark's whole gospel. It's the hinge on which the entire gospel turns. Every gospel has an agenda, and Mark's agenda, which he tells us in his very first verse, is that we would know the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. But up to this point, Jesus true identity has been given by Mark the narrator, by God, by demons, but not by humans. It's here that we find in Mark's gospel man's first expression of faith as in Jesus as the Christ. 
Jesus had faithfully brought them through a process to this decisive point of understanding. From this point on, everything would change, right? From here on out, they would learn what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah, namely that he would have to suffer and die. They would also learn what it means for them to be followers of the Messiah, that they likewise would have to lay down their lives to follow him. They have confessed something unspeakably beautiful. They have confessed that which Jesus has sought to hide from the masses, yet that which is central to his identity, that he is the Christ. The the, the promised anointed one sent of God to restore and rescue God's people. But, But how did they arrive at this decisive point of understanding? Was it because Peter and the disciples were smart enough? Was it because they were clever enough to figure it out? Or was it because they were so well-versed and informed about the prophetic witness in the Old Testament and Jesus' fulfillment of it? Was it because they were humble enough to recognize the truth when no one else would? Just a cursory reading of the gospel will tell you that's not the case. And Matthew's gospel tells us how they arrive at their confession. In Matthew's parallel uh, account, we read in Matthew 16, 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. How do you know this, Peter? How do Peter and the disciples come to this confession? You are the Christ. It's been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. You see, the disciples had been the recipients of a miracle of even greater magnitude than receiving physical sight. Right? God had so touched them that he gave them spiritual eyes to see. But to see what? What did, what did God help them? What did he enable them to see? It's to see who Jesus is. Namely, that he is the Christ. It had been revealed to them, not, not of their own initiative or effort, but freely of God's grace to them. That the, the blind man, of course, has no power to make his eyes see again. And it is God by his spirit who must open our eyes and give us the ability to see the truth. As the disciples witness this healing, it is the very point of his healing to demonstrate for them that he alone is the one who can give them eyes to see, who can give them understanding, who can help them see and perceive the truth. It is he alone who gives sight to the blind, who unstops the ears of the deaf. It is he alone who can give them spiritual sight to see him for who he truly is, the Messiah, the Savior promised in the Old Testament and now present before them. Right? It's the point of the miracle that they should finally recognize the truth about who Jesus is and truly see him as the anointed one sent of God to save his people. It's the point of Jesus' healing, and it's the point of his entire work of salvation. That 
that your eyes would be open to see him as the Christ. That is, as, as the one that's, that God sent to pay the penalty of your sin and rescue you to himself. Look, do, do you want to see Jesus this morning? Do you want to grow in your faith? The way to do that is not to focus on yourself or some self-help regimen. It's the exact opposite. right? It, it is to take your eyes off of yourself and to look to Christ. And to look to the place where he can be seen most clearly where his identity of the Christ is put on full display at the cross, right? The disciples saw him as victorious over sickness and over uh, demons and over deafness and over blindness. blindness. We see him victorious over sin and over death itself. You were blind, you were overcome by darkness, living as those groping around in the shadows, chasing after every little pleasure that came your way. God would have been just to leave you there. He would have been just to leave you living in darkness all the way to your own destruction, but with great love, great mercy, great tenderness, great compassion. God sent his son, the light of the world, into the darkness to rescue those who remained in bondage to their sin and blindness. He, he walked among them. He put his power to overcome their blindness on display, on display, healing the blind among them. And then he went to the cross, bearing the full weight of their sin, bearing the full measure of God's wrath for their life of darkness and blindness. And we, when he hung on the cross, darkness covered the land. But then on the third day, he rose to life again as the all-sufficient Savior of those who come to him in faith. And now he rules and reigns, opening eyes by his Spirit, who shines the light of his glory into the hearts of his people. Now for all who have called on his name and who are looking to him in faith, he is faithfully and patiently and wisely and powerfully working out a process in their lives whereby he is day by day opening their eyes more and more to his goodness and kindness towards them in the gospel so that they might trust him more fully and know him more deeply. He is the Christ. It is his work start to finish. So brothers and sisters, trust the God who is behind the process. Trust him this morning. If, if, if you find in yourself dullness and blindness, go to him who is the one who can give you sight. And he will be pleased. He will delight to open your eyes even further to see Christ, to see him for who he is, the Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And as you look to him, he will transform you from one degree of glory to the next. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that you are indeed faithful to sanctify us, 
to transform us from one degree of glory to another as we gaze upon your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his saving work, that we are no longer in the darkness, that you have opened our eyes to the truth. It's not of us. It's not because we figured it out. It's not because we're humble, but it's because you have miraculously worked in our hearts to show us the truth. And so we thank you for that. And pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that we might love you more, trust you more, depend on you more, rejoice in you more, obey you more. Lord, would you do this in our hearts for the great glory of your name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.